Imagine, if you will, a podcast. A podcast beyond that which is known to man. It exists in both fandom and discovery, in viewing and critiquing. My name is Matt Hurt. This is Anthology. And welcome to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. If this is your first time listening, Anthology is a podcast exploring science fiction anthology storytelling during television's first golden age, beginning with The Twilight Zone. Each podcast, I share my thoughts on an episode of this iconic series as a first-time viewer, as well as share some trivia about the episode and some background on the cast and crew. I then end each podcast with a bonus review of a movie or show related to this week's episode. You can find more of Anthology at AnthologyPod.com, and if you want to contact me, like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash AnthologyPod, tweet me at ObsessiveViewer, or send an email to matt at obsessiveviewer.com, or call and leave a voicemail at 317-762-6099. And if you like what you hear and want to support the podcast, please head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. The more ratings and reviews I get, the easier it will be for people to find the show in iTunes search results. This week on Anthology, I'll be discussing The Purple Testament. It's the 19th episode of The Twilight Zone's first season, and it aired on February 12th, 1960 on CBS. I'll also be sharing my brief thoughts on Nightmare at Ground Zero, an episode of Suspense written by Rod Serling that aired in August of 1953. But first, I just want to mention Sharktober in Irvington. Um, this is a one-night event screening of short horror films from local filmmakers here in Indianapolis, Indiana, presented by my podcast, The Obsessive Viewer. Basically, we've rented out the Irving Theater for the night to screen short horror films, interview the filmmakers, raffle off DVDs, Blu-rays, gift cards to businesses in the Irvington area. It's our third year doing it, and it's always a really fun time. All the proceeds go to the local um, Irvington Historical Society. Uh, find more information and a link to buy tickets to the event at shocktoberinirvington.com. I should also mention that the it, it's on October 14th, 2016 this year. So that was just a quick plug. And now let's uh, let's dig into the Purple Testament. As always, I'm going to start the review with a rundown of the plot, courtesy of the Twilight Zone Companion by Mark Zakree. Lieutenant Fitzgerald is a man who has found his own special wartime hell. Looking into the faces of his men prior to a battle, he sees a peculiar light on the faces of those who are to die. Captain Riker, his close friend and superior officer, scoffs at this until Fitz see the, sees the odd light on his face. Nevertheless, Riker feels duty-bound. He goes into combat and is killed. Soon after, Fitz is relieved to hear that he is being sent back to the division headquarters. Packing to go, he glances in a mirror and is and is horrified to see the same terrible light on his face as on the others. As he gets into a jeep, a sergeant cautions the driver that there are mines on the road. Relax, the driver tells Fitz. We've got a four-hour drive ahead of us. Fitz replies, I doubt it. A while later, the sergeant and his men hear the sound of a distant explosion. Okay, so starring in this episode is William Reynolds as Lieutenant Fitzgerald. This is his only episode of The Twilight Zone, and he began his acting career in 1951 and had several credits, but stopped acting in 1978, and he's still alive today. Um, I'm not sure why he stopped acting in 78, but um, like I said, he had he had several uh, 
credits under his belt, so good for him. Um, this episode also stars, stars Dick York as Captain Riker. Um, he was born in Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is close to, relatively close to my neck of the woods here in Indianapolis. It's far north. Um, he is in two episodes of The Twilight Zone. This is the first of the two. The next is the episode of Penny for Your Thoughts, which I'm not sure which season that's in, but um, I believe season two. I don't have it in my notes like I usually do. Um, Dick York, perhaps best known for starring in Bewitched for 170 episodes. And playing Captain Gunther is Barney Phillips. This is his first of four Twilight Zone appearances. Next is Season 2's A Thing About Machines. And after that, he will appear in Season 2's Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up, which... I'm really excited for because I've seen stills of his face in the episode. They're kind of iconic images from the Twilight Zone, basically. And uh, I have no context for it other than the title of the episode. So I'm really looking forward to watching that episode. That's one of those episodes that I'm looking forward to just because the name is iconic in the in the kind of grand mythos of the Twilight Zone. The The next one of those examples is going to be the monsters are due on maple street. That's a big one from, um, uh, from just my passing familiarity with, uh, the cultural impact of the twilight zone that, and other examples are to serve man, um, a stop at Willoughby. So I'm looking forward to getting to these big, what I, what I'm, my, what I'm perceiving as these big, uh, defining episodes of the series. Uh, writer for this episode is Rod Serling. And it's worth mentioning that Serling, when he was in the uh, when when he was in the army, he served in a parachute in- infantry regiment uh, during the liberation of the Philippines, where this episode is set. So that's interesting, and I'm, I'm I'll get into my thoughts on the episode itself and the contact uh, content of it. But I wonder how much his experience influenced uh, his writing for this episode director for this episode is Richard L. Bear. This is his second of seven episodes of The Twilight Zone. We previously saw his work in one of my favorite episodes so far, Third from the Sun. And his next episode is Season 2, Episode 7, Nick of Time. Alright, so let's dig into my thoughts as a first-time viewer of this episode of The Twilight Zone. Um, First of all, I really like the dynamic between Fitz and Phil, or Captain Riker, in this episode. The script did a wonderful job just showcasing the bond that these two shared in war and the friendship they have. And that's really important going forward in the episode, of course. Um, it, it reminded me a lot of, um, oh, oh, I can't remember the names in Band of Brothers. They're actually, obviously they're based on real people. Um, but the, the Ron Livingston and the guy from Homeland, I wish I would have put it in my notes. I apologize. But it reminds me of that kind of friendship and camaraderie. And I, and as far as the concept for this episode, I, I like the glow effect a lot as an idea. And I think it works really well for the story being told in this episode. Um, however, the dialogue before Fitz explains what exactly it is he sees and says that he sees a light. Um, before that, we're just he shows Phil a piece of paper on which he wrote down the names of the dead soldiers. And in that moment, it made me really interested and really curious to see what the story would have been like if 
Fitz simply intuited the deaths. For instance, if he wrote down the names just because he was compelled to do so and then slowly realized that what he's writing is the names of the dead before each mission, um, of course, that would change the entire episode, and that's that's not a mark on the episode at all. It's just, as a concept, it's something that would have been I would have been interested to see. Um, regardless, I really like how the episode handled the way that Fitz is haunted by this ability. I mean, it speaks a lot to not only the character, but it also makes the character himself an audience conduit for the kind of the the show's theme of the hell and senseless death of war basically uh specifically i like that he worries that this is how it will always be for him like he's very vocal about how he's he seems terrified that every day for the rest of his life he's going to see the death before it happens for each soldier and being in war that's i mean that's got to be hell and and what i got from what I got from his remarks about that is that the war has already been hell for him and and what he's living with day to day was already tearing away at his psyche and his mind. And the thought of having to look into the faces of men who are about to die and then carrying that knowledge with him without being able to prevent it in any, in any way um, is just too much for him to bear. And I really liked that representation of it and that really was really good at displaying the theme and the the subtext for the episode and it's also supported in the dialogue after he sees the young soldier smitty die in the uh, hospital uh, bed fitz says that his ability isn't odd it's nightmare and after and that's after remarking that odd would be going 30 days on the line without losing a soldier and again, this plays just really well into the theme of the torture that happens to your mind when you're in war. And I'll, I'll talk about that later when I get into the theme of the episode, but uh, it's just, it was really remarkable to see that piece of dialogue um, delivered and, and uh, played to the psyche of the character. So once Fitz sees the glow on Phil, the episode takes a turn, and I, I love I love Phil's reaction to it. Um, it's kind of it's one of the defining moments of the episode for me. Phil, up until that point, Phil and everyone else just think that Fitz is coming unhinged. He's he has some. He's just not being able to to take you know being there. Um, and they're compassionate toward him and they want him to be treated. They want him to get better and they care about him. But when Fitz tries to warn Phil, it's like Phil can't even bring himself to even entertain the thought that Fitz is right. And that reaction just makes perfect sense for the situation and for the character. Um, Phil is an officer in a war and rather than heeding a supernatural warning, it's, it's as if he just needs to focus on his objective because he's in the middle of a war. It's, it's an important, it's important to keep a level head and there's some sub, some subtext there that, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but there's some subtext that he just can't skip the mission because then other soldiers would die. And he has this responsibility and seeing him place the baby pictures and wedding ring on the table 
is frankly really heart-wrenching because he's entertaining the thought for a moment. He's he's because he believes him deep down and he knows that, okay, well, he's probably not going to make it, so he better leave his personal effects behind. And it's just a really well-written scene and just beautiful. And I'll take this moment to kind of jump down a little bit and mention that I wasn't a big fan of the music in this episode. And there's like, there's a horn and drums that persists throughout each scene, throughout certain scenes. And I, I get it. It's, it's because it's, you know, it's, it's in a war. It's, it's like war music, but it doesn't seem to match the tone that well. And every time it popped up, it took me out of the episode and it really hampered that scene where Phil puts his personal effects on the table for me because it just felt hokey and out of place. So anyway, after that scene, um, we see a soldier beg fits for reassur- reassurance that he'll survive. And this was really interesting to me because it paints an almost godlike picture of Fitz while Fitz himself is tormented by this gift that he has and never asked for. And I wish that there was more of that in this episode, to be honest, although I recognize that they have a finite amount of screen time that they can have for the story and they've already allocated a lot of time to developing his uh, ability and and developing his character as as his superior officers are uh, um, confronted with this ability. So, so in that case, I'm glad that this scene with the soldier, um, begging for reassurance, I'm glad that that made it into the episode either way. And I'm not disappointed that there wasn't more to it. Although I wish that, or I think that the story could have benefited with a little bit more of that, but it was a nice touch to include it. So after Phil's death, Fitz puts Phil's dog tags on the table next to the ring and baby pictures. And man, that was just a really emotional scene and a really good way to bring the emotional punch of Phil leaving the items behind. Just, it brought it full circle. And also just a little note, um, it had actual, like it had a a good score to it in that scene. So it didn't have the drums or the, the horn blaring. It was just, it was a it was a more melancholy tone, and that really helped uh, bring it bring the emotion to the forefront for me as well. And I feel like in another universe where this episode was, I hesitate I hesitate to say more focused on the friendship between Fitz and Phil, but in an alternate universe where this episode explored that friendship more and maybe put more emphasis on. Fitz trying to convince, trying to convince Phil that he was going to die. Um, Fitz placing the dog tags on the table would have been a great final shot for the episode. And like I said, the entire episode could have been about Fitz trying to convince Phil. And I mean, that's more a mark of how much I enjoyed their dynamic on screen more than anything. And that's, that's not a fault in the actual episode. It's just that I really liked the, um, emotion in the friendship and the scenes between Fitz and Phil. So after Phil's death, um, there's a scene with him and um, the superior officer where he's, he's going through Phil's effects and he says, um, war stinks. <laughs> and it's such, 
it's an extension of the scene where Fitz puts the puts the um, dog tags on the table. But when the when the superior officer just is going through saying like it's such a shame that he you know a wife of seven years, I know that you were close with him and he's left behind two two little boys. It's just it hammers home that theme so strongly, and I'll talk about it a little bit later. But it was it was just beautiful. And uh, so after that, Fitz sees the light in a, in the mirror and uh, on his face. And this is a this is a nice touch. And in retrospect, it's clearly where the episode was heading. Um, I mean, you give a character the power to foretell death that's contingent on his vision, um, and it just makes narrative sense that he'd see it in a mirror um, to kind of close out the the whole story. Um, and also goes back to his uh, his rant about um his his ability being a a nightmare more than anything and he says that he wants you know them to poke his eyes out or you know take his eyesight away basically but having said that i think the the kind of the theme of the senselessness of war and the um the personal toll that war takes on people i think that that could have been hammered home more if fitz didn't didn't see the um, light in the reflection. And, and if the episode just ended with Fitz living with the agony of his, of this power and maybe he sees the glow in a crowd of people or something to that effect, maybe that could have been a more suitable ending for a longer, um, a story that had a longer runtime. Like maybe that, maybe if this, if this story was a feature film, maybe that could, could have been a more suitable ending to it. So none of that is to say that I didn't like the ending. I I actually did. And it concluded the episode well. And it also left me with the impression that Fitz just became resigned to his fate and that he would rather die than live with it after he can use it to protect Phil and I think it's a strong ending. I kind of wish that it would have been, well, that would have, that maybe would have changed the episode, but I kind of wish that Phil's death could have had, would have had a bigger impact if maybe, if maybe Fitz had convinced him to stay or had convinced him, like, if there had been a clear instance of Fitz ex- uh, warning Phil maybe Phil could have done something to try to prevent it and then still ended up dead. So I think that would have been a strong ending as well if Fitz just became resigned to his fate because he knew that he couldn't change fate. Maybe that changes the nature of the entire episode and the, and the theme of, of war, but I don't know. Regardless, I think it was a strong ending and I appreciated it. As for the um, technical aspects of this episode... Um, right off the bat, I'm really noticing the increase in production value. Um, I'm not entirely sure where this was in the production schedule. Um, however, I don't know where this was shot, but it just looks wonderful and has some big sequences in the beginning. Um, I don't know where, I don't know where they, I can't imagine that this was part of the actual filming, but I don't know where they would have gotten this stock footage, but it, it, it doesn't look like stock footage is the, um, is the point here, but the, it's the imagery of soldiers fighting, weapons firing, shells crashing in the opening scene that it just, it really brings you into the episode very strongly. And I really appreciated that about it. And, uh, the way that the glow is portrayed is, 
honestly, it's kind of silly. Um, and that might be too harsh of a word. I, a lot of the time we see Fitz's reaction to it before seeing the actual glowing effect. So we'll ha- so there will be a close up of Fitz's face kind of changing into like a shocked expression and then switching over to the face of the person that he sees with the glow on it. And I mean, that happens a couple times, I believe, in the episode, and I just wish it was more subtle. Like, when we see it as it appears on Phil, it's when it's the most effective because Phil is speaking in the scene, and we just see it happen on his face, and then we cut to Fitz's reaction. And I I thought that that was much more effective than the other instances in the episode. Um, Otherwise, uh, at another point in the episode, after uh, Fitz talks to Smitty in the hospital wing. Um, he sees the, he sees the glow on Smitty and then Fitz faints. And I am so not a fan of fainting for dramatic effect. Um, ordinarily I'm, I'm just really not. I think that it's hokey and really melodramatic, but in this instance, I really appreciated the POV shot of it that we got. Um, I just thought that that was a cool effect because we see we see Fitz's reaction and then he starts to kind of do the whole faint thing and then the camera um, switches to a POV shot from uh, Fitz's face as he falls back. So so we see we fall back with him basically and I, I appreciated that on a technical level but fainting for dramatic effect has never really um, done anything for me in um, movies and TV. And that's just a personal bias I have. Um, I could have said the same thing about um, the one, the one punch knockout in uh, that happens a couple times in last week's episode, the last flight, but I didn't. I also want to mention the uh, shot of the broken mirror on the ground with Fitz's reflection in each piece. I, I love that shot. I think it's really, I think it's just really cool. It's just a wonderful, wonderfully composed shot with the, um, with Fitz's face kind of, um, transposed onto the, onto the glass or onto the broken mirror in each shard. I, I just really liked the, the effect of that shot. So as for cultural subtext slash theme for this episode, um, this episode has a lot to say about the hell of war, obviously, and it seems to come from such an honest and personal place, as I said before. Um, this episode seems like, I don't know. I, I, obviously I don't know the man. I, I, I would like to read some biographies about Serling and, and read up on him when I have more time. But this episode seems to me like Serling was kind of working through some of the things he saw in the war. Maybe, um, it's set in an environment where he fought and he, and he, um, was in and it deals with a very, it deals with the mental toll that war takes on soldiers and, and the term, the turmoil and the pain of seeing people that you're with perish before your eyes. And I think that that's a really strong statement and a really strong theme to put into an episode of the twilight zone. And I appreciate what Serling did with it and how, um, how well it was handled. So let's see trivia for this episode. Um, I have a few, I have a couple things here. So, um, Dean Stockwell was originally cast in the lead role, but was in, unable to appear. So, uh, so it was given to William Reynolds instead. Dean Stockwell will later appear in a similarly themed episode titled A Quality of Mercy in season three. 
and the core concept of the episode of seeing a light on the face of those who are about to die was um, also used in the ep- in an episode of the 2002 revival series um, called Into the Light. I don't know if I'll ever get around to seeing that show. Um, I've heard bad things. I think Forrest Whitaker is the host of it, and it's relatively cheap on Amazon for the whole series, but I don't know. I still have this and several other sci-fi shows to uh, get to after this, and then I'm thinking about getting into the 80s uh, Twilight Zone series as well, maybe as a bonus series for anthology. I haven't really worked it out yet. So back to trivia. Uh, Rod Serling quotes in the in the uh, closing narration um, a quote from what he says is um, a quote from Richard the Third from a Shakespearean quote from Richard the Third, but it's it was actually a mistake and it actually comes from Richard the Second. So that was kind of interesting. And then finally, this was this was really interesting. So on the day that the um on the actual on the same day that this episode aired um the director richard Bur- richard bear and william reynolds were uh they were both filming uh the tv series the islanders and they were actually in a plane crash with one person on board the plane actually being killed in the crash and reynolds claimed that um that the that the episode was f- pulled from his from its scheduled screening date um, out of concern for Reynolds and um, Bear and their families. Um, however, you know, it's interesting. However, in the Twilight Zone Companion, it mentions this, but then also in the uh, 2008 book, The Twilight Zone, Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic, um, Martin Grahams concludes that the episode actually did air as originally scheduled on February 12th, 1960, despite, despite Reynolds' uh, statements that it was pulled from the schedule. So that's kind of interesting. It's kind of um, kind of terrifying that they, that they were in a plane crash. And it's funny because I have a quote here from the Twilight Zone Companion. Um, so this is a quote from Richard Bear. Quote, the evening that it was to be aired and first run, Bill Reynolds and I were in the middle of the Caribbean swimming for our lives with three broken legs between the two of us. We were four miles off the coast of Jamaica, swimming on our backs toward shore, about 40 feet apart, when I yelled over to Bill and said, Bill, how are you doing? He answered, I'm making it. A little later, I called over again, you know what's playing tonight? Uh, And he said, yeah, the Purple Testament. And I said, Bill, please don't look at me. (laughs) Uh, Which I thought was, that. yeah, that's, that's a really funny... That's a funny anecdote about it, about a horrible situation. And fortunately, they uh, they survived it. Um, and only one person in the uh, aboard the plane was actually killed in the crash. There were a total of five people on the plane. So that was an interesting tidbit about the uh, the trivia behind the episode. So overall, I enjoyed this episode. Um, there wasn't anything inherently wrong with it. Although I did have minor nitpicks like the music and I guess I did wish that there was a little more about the soldiers reacting to Fitz and his ability. Um, And even though those weren't major problems, the episode didn't really blow me away all that much. Um, The emotion is there and the concept is really strong. But at the end of the day, I just... I just think that it's uh it's just a really solid Twilight Zone episode. And I wouldn't take anything away from it, but it won't it won't it likely won't make a uh 
any top 10 lists for me for this season. Okay, before we move on to this week's bonus review, here's a highlight from episode 166 of The Obsessive Viewer, a weekly movie and TV podcast I host with my friends Mike and Tiny over at obsessiveviewer.com. Uh, it, it, it's not even just beloved amongst Pixar fans. I think I've told this story before, um, but in my classroom at the beginning of the year when we talk about like plot diagramming, uh, and I play a little game where you have to vaguely uh, introduce a plot using the, the plot points, but you can't list names, um, and then the class has to guess what your movie or your story or your book is. Uh, and I had to ban Finding Nemo because... <laughs> Without fail, in every class, every year, somebody would do Finding Nemo. And sometimes multiple kids would do Finding Nemo. And it's not like out of four groups. So like four movies per class, which is to say 16 movie choices a day at most, I would get four Finding Nemo's. Oh my gosh. You can find The Obsessive Viewer on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and at ObsessiveViewer.com. And you can find the episode you just heard a clip from at ObsessiveViewer.com slash OV166. Okay, so today's bonus review is an episode of Suspense um, from Season 5 of Suspense, Episode 42. It's titled Nightmare at Ground Zero. It's available in its entirety on YouTube. The link is in the show notes of this episode. And you can also find it at anthologypod.com slash 014. The uh, brief summary of, of the plot of Nightmare at Ground Zero is written by uh, Rod Serling, and it aired in 1953. And the plot summary, just a brief plot rundown, is... The Nevada Proving Ground is set for another nuclear bomb blast at 4 a.m. A harried artist is rushing to finish the mannequins he's been hired to construct that will populate a house at Ground Zero. His nagging wife, who does nothing but complain about his work, finally pushes him over the edge. So this episode revolves around an artist who makes dummies for nuclear bomb test sites, and he's in this unhappy marriage and has a strange affection for the dummies that he creates. He's kind of consumed by his work, basically. And he has this deadline to fill a house with dummies before the nuclear bomb test. And what's interesting is that this this house is like is a fully functioning house. There's electricity. It's you know, it's it's a it's a house, basically. I'm not entirely sure if uh during the forties and fifties if they actually did this kind of thing. I imagine that they did. I'm I'm just showing my ignorance of of the era, but um, it's, it was just interesting to see depicted on a television show, um, and there's just there's something inherently creepy to me about dummies on screen, and it's just unsettling to me. So that made this viewing experience just pretty memorable to me, really. And uh, the relationship between the lead and his wife is interesting to me. Um, she's she's lonely since he's so. Um, focused on his work. And there's something to be said about his wife not sharing his passion or supporting his interests or passions. Um, there's something there along those lines in the story. It isn't It isn't quite fleshed out all that much, and I might be reading into something that isn't there, but I was still able to latch on to that, at least in one piece of dialogue, and I found it to be an interesting angle. And it also gave more, um, I guess, more depth to... Uh, to the dynamic between the husband and wife, um, aside from just being, you know, 
the man having just a shrill wife who uh, screams at him. So the the story overall is it's it's pretty dark and it's creepy with a deep sense of foreboding since the entire episode revolves around um, getting me, the artist meeting this deadline as the bomb is going to go off at four a.m. So there's this there's this kind of ticking time uh, time bomb basically. Um, throughout the episode and i feel like it would fit pretty well within the mythos of uh the twilight zone and i and i think twilight zone fans would definitely like it it's i mean it's it's rod serling so there's nothing there's not much there not to like really and there's uh there's some interesting twists and turns and i recommend checking it out once again it's on youtube in its entirety and it's uh also worth mentioning that there's an episode of playhouse 90 from 1958 so about five years or uh yeah five years after this episode aired for suspense and the episode on playhouse 90 is called nightmare ground zero and it's based on a book and serling has a writing credit for it he shares a writing credit with some uh, i think one or two other screenwriters and the plot doesn't sound that similar from from what i heard from, from what i understand from the plot it's about a um a mistake happening at at the first nuclear bomb test site and then people trying to fix it. It, it kind of sounds like more comedic in nature than what this episode was. Um, so the plot doesn't sound that similar. I may actually need to investigate it further. Um, I'm since, since Serling has a writing credit on it, I may review it at some point down the road if I can get my hands on it. If any listeners have any context for what it is, um, let me know. Shoot me an email, matt at obsessiveviewer.com, because it was kind of interesting to find it, because I just found it when I was finalizing my notes, and I didn't didn't really look into it that deeply, but um, yeah, so it's pretty interesting. All right, so that'll just about do it for this week's episode of Anthology. Thank you for listening. Um, once again, I was a guest on a recent episode of Submitted for Your Approval, which you can find um, on any podcatcher, really, and on the episode, I was I was a guest and I talked about the episode of The Twilight Zone titled Execution, um, which I'll be covering in about a month or so here, or about a month and a half, maybe two months. So if you want to hear my thoughts on that, go check it out. It's episode 26 of Submitted for Your Approval. I had such a good time chatting with Brandon, the host over there, and I think that after I finish the first season of The Twilight Zone, I might invite him on to do kind of a season one wrap-up um, episode because I feel like, well, his show will get, will conclude the first season before anthology does, but we'll, we'll hit the end of the first season around the same time. So it'll be good to compare notes and, and get some crossover here. Um, yeah. So again, that'll about do it next week on anthology. I'll be reviewing episode 20 of the twilight zones first season titled elegy. And I'll conclude that episode with a bonus review of the 1958 film Queen of Outer Space, which was written by Elegy's writer Charles Beaumont. Until then, thank you for listening, and I'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more episodes at anthologypod.com and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. 
If you'd like to help support the podcast, please take a few minutes to leave a rating and a review on iTunes. The more reviews I get, the higher the show will be ranked in iTunes search results, making it easier for people to discover it and grow the podcast. Of course, you can always email me your thoughts and feelings about the show to matt at obsessiveviewer.com. You can also tweet me at obsessiveviewer, like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod, or you can call and leave me a voicemail at 317-762-6099 for a chance to have it played on the show. If you like what you've heard here, I urge you to check out The Obsessive Viewer, a weekly movie and TV podcast I host with my friends Mike and Tiny. Also check out The Obsessive Viewer blog at obsessiveviewer.com where I write movie reviews, TV reviews, and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. If you want even more obsessive content in your life, subscribe to the Obsessive Viewer subreddit at r slash obsessiveviewer and check out obsessivebooknerd.com, our sister site for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious... Check out my friend Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com. Once again, thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.